Hi, I'm Jillian. I'm Olivia. I'm Holly, and you're listening to the Be Well Cartel podcast. Your go-to weekly podcast for women who want real, practical advice on food, fitness, and everything in between. And a healthy dose of dad jokes. Holly, I wish the world could see your Christmas sweater right now. It's so good. I love this Christmas sweater. It says, son of a nutcracker, and then it has... Will Ferrell's face from Elf on it, like screaming. So if you can yeah. picture that, I I hope that you are smiling right now. And, and it's a, you know, a whole green and red and white knitted affair. Of course, of course. And as you can tell, it's like, it's it's not the right size for me. It's like a man's jumper. Does it say like, daddy on one arm? Buddy. Oh, buddy. Buddy, like buddy okay. the Elf. Buddy oh, the elf got it. Favorite color. Um, oh. Yes. So, uh Elf is our favorite Christmas movie in the Priestland family, which mm-hmm. probably surprises no one who knows my family. Uh, and I was in London and this sweater was in a store and they only had this one and there were no smaller sizes. And I was like, I'm not leaving this sweater behind. I'm taking this sweater with me. I mean, and it's so... the perfect podcasting Christmas sweater. Yeah, I've been, I've worn it the past two days in a row and I will wear it every day until Boxing Day. Amazing. Which, that by sounds... the way, is the 26th of December yeah. for American listeners. So as as a, as someone that is half American, half British, living in Spain, like my, and, and I'm Jewish as well. And so it's like my understanding of like the whole Christmas season is so fucking weird because I'm like, I like here in Spain, they do like the 24th and the 25th. And then there's a day called like San Esteban, which I have no idea when that is, which I Isn't think it's like, the 20th. 20- it's like January the 6th. Well, no, then there's the Reyes. So there's King's Day, which is January 6th. Okay. And so it's like the Christmas season, like there's some people and some families that like the big, big day is January 6th. But then there's other people that like the big, big day is the 24th or the 25th. And so it's very confusing. And then it doesn't help that like Hanukkah changes every year. And so like mm. Hanukkah is like, surprise, it's Hanukkah. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, that, Hanukkah that's sounds so nice though. I really like the sort of tradition the, yeah. around Hanukkah. Hanukkah's really, so when I was little, so my family is like, my mom was really, really social, like a very, very social human. My dad is like, kind of like, slightly less social like he's lovely but he's just not as good at making friends and so when my mom was alive every year we would do these giant Hanukkah parties like giant and I have these memories of my mom who like so latkes if you're not familiar with Jewish culture like latkes are these like fried potato pancakes that are traditional for Hanukkah and you usually eat them with either sour cream or applesauce and oh, with applesauce are so freaking good. Anyways, so my mom, when I was little, I have these memories of her literally making 300 latkes. <laughs> yeah. And then that sort of like, unfortunately, that tradition sort of like fell off as we got older. But yeah, some really nice childhood memories there. I kind of like the idea of the challenge of trying to make 300 yeah. latkes. If you, if the, if you've got the vibe, right. Like if you've got like music and there's like people around, like if you've got the vibe, right. It, it's like really fun. But if it's like a pressure thing, like I think one year my dad tried to pressure me into doing it and it was like incredibly stressful. <laughs> yeah, terrible. <laughs> I'm trying to convince my mom to um, set up a Priestland family bake-off. 
uh, competition. Oh my gosh, uh, please like, televise my this. Be, my mom could be poor Hollywood because she's got the hair anyway. Yeah, yeah. Blue eyes and she's got the, the like horrible death stare. Um, and so then she could set us three challenges. Oh, and your um, dad is Prue. That makes so much sense. Yeah. That makes so much exactly. sense. I am so sad that all of you listening to this episode do not know Holly's parents, but it makes so much sense. And then, you know, because we, I've got an oven in here in this like little cottage thing I'm in and they've got an oven next door. So we've already got two ovens. So, and, and their oven has like two sides to it. Mm. So like there's three hot squares yeah. available that we could cook in. And we could do it simultaneously. Uh, yes. So I'll let you guys know if we are successfully. Please do. Will you please post photos of this? And also I want to know what recipes you're going for, because I was heavily invested in this, in this season of the Great British Bake Off. Oh, um, I want to do Sayabira's, you know, she did the best. She's, oh, she's amazing. Yeah. Anyways, if you don't follow the Great British Bake Off, what are you doing with your life? Like you don't watch wholesome yeah. television apparently. And final comment on Bake Off is that I found out that on American Netflix, it's called the Great British Baking Show. Yeah. I'm yeah. Like, and, but here's the, so here's the thing is that in the United States, you can get Great British Bake Off on, on Netflix, but in this, in Spain, you can't. And so I had luckily, so I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast, I had this disastrous relationship at the end of the summer, but the best thing that I got out of that horrible relationship was access to this streaming service that I can literally stream anything. And so I'm so, so grateful that that happened because now I can watch anything I want. Amazing. Well, we'll have yeah. to have a, a, um, be well cartel great british bake-off sweepstakes next year yeah i agree my family also do it yes if anyone's listening yeah. my family also do a sweepstakes where we all pick teams basically we all just want to be part of the priestland family it's a good fam <laughs> it's a good fam well yeah do we want to take it's not really a hard left it's a soft left yeah, um, a gentle yeah. a gentle because rolling we were left talking, into our topic yeah. for today because like I always think about when I watch the Bake Off, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I would want to try everything. And if I tried everything, you know, when when the pool of bakers is like 12, if you try everything, you're going to end up overeating because that is a lot. Even if you only have like one bite of each thing, you're going to be quite full. And so today, this is a topic that came up with a client of mine who, you know, right now we're, we're recording this sort of right before Christmas. And there's a lot of holiday meals. You might've had holiday meals with like your company or your friends, or even like maybe you celebrated early with family. And something that I think people worry about a lot is like, quote unquote, damage. Like how much quote unquote damage am I going to do to my body or to my nutrition or to my health from overeating throughout this period? And for us is like, we wouldn't necessarily choose the word damage, but I think that this is a word that many, many people use to understand like, well, how much damage am I actually doing? Often it's in reference to like weight gain. Um, but also I know individuals are worried about like, how does this affect my health? And so we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, how much quote unquote damage can overeating actually do, and then give you some sort of actionable tips to prepare yourself to be in a situation in which overeating might be probable, but for you to, to sort of like uh, interpret it in a completely different way. Yeah, totally. And there are kind of three angles that we thought about when people are asking us like, you know, what damage is overeating going to do? Um, and that can be, yeah, as Jillian said, so 
things affecting your physical health. And I think that comes up a lot, for example, with people who have conditions like IBS yeah. or dietary intolerances or, you know, hopefully if you have an allergy, you're not um, engaging in foods that you're allergic to. But I, like I have a friend who is celiac and lo- and just like is like, that's nah, screw it. I'm eating bread. And I'm like, OK. <laughs> yeah. Right. So so there's that angle um, and also potentially like, you know, could you can you cause any physical damage if you're if you do you've got extreme overeating um yeah weight gain I think is one that a lot of people are thinking about at this time of year partly due to the fact that the media love to emphasize this so that Mm -hmm. it's on your mind for January when they can then try and get you to sell your soul um to them uh as they market all their diet products and challenges and so on um, and then I also added in there psychological distress, because I think yeah. for some people, it's not even about the, I mean, some of the psychological distress might come from fear of weight gain. A lot of it's also just like self-judgment, shame, guilt, resentment that comes up around um, having perceptively or actually overeating. Yeah, I, I completely agree here. And I think that also a lot of what happens is we sort of get into this mindset of, well, it's okay because I'm going to quote unquote, like get back on track in January. And so I think that it can become a pattern for many of us. And I know for me personally, this was a pattern for many years where I would start out the holiday season being like, I'm going to be quote unquote good. I'm going to you know keep myself under control. And I would end up like, I'm going to end up using a lot of air quotes here. I would end up in my eyes, like fucking it up right away. And then I'd be like, it's fine because come January, I will just get it back together. I'll be strict again with my eating. And so I think that we, we can often get in a mindset of like justification for this, where it's like, it's, it's totally fine. If you do want to put some organization into your nutrition or, or work towards a specific body composition goal in January, However, I think that coming into the holiday season being like, it's okay if I just do whatever the hell I want and don't think about it and, and overeat a ton, like it's quote unquote, okay, because I'm just going to get back on it in January. And that creates the binge restrict cycle. Like it just continues to perpetuate that cycle. And I've been in it. I don't know. Actually, I don't know if, if that was something that you were really stuck in. I know Olivia dealt with that as well. And it's, it, it's, it sucks. Yeah, no, I, I for sure dealt with that as well. Um, and I think also, you know, the other thing today, we'll probably be talking quite a lot, yeah, from from that holiday angle uh, and also probably from a perspective of um, non-pathological overeating. So if, when yeah. I say that, what I mean is, you know, if we look at what overeating is, we're basically thinking of, okay, either eating more than our body's physiological needs, that could be one interpretation, or eating to a point of uncomfortable fullness. And I think we're probably talking mainly about the latter today. And we can see that in like an acute sense, where it's like, okay, it's one meal, or it's a couple of meals or whatever. Um, It could be chronic. So it could be that you feel like you're doing that across the entire holiday period, almost every day, or across, you know, a month or a couple of months or whatever that is. Um, mild you know if we talk about the hunger fullness scale right which I think you use with a lot of your clients I use with a lot of my clients as well um where we're thinking about sort of one as I'm about to pass out because I'm so hungry like I'm feeling nauseous and faint and 10 as being like I'm in so much pain that I'm considering going to get medical attention um we're usually thinking about sort of like 
quote, quote unquote, we're going to have a lot of these today, normal levels of fullness so at being somewhere around probably a, a, a seven or an, an, maybe an eight as being like not yeah. terrible, eight being like a little bit past fullness, but not in pain. Um, nine being like, I, I probably am in a bit of pain. Maybe, maybe my pants are being unbuttoned if I was wearing jeans. And um, so if we're thinking about sort of mild overeating, that might be more around that eight. Like, cool, I felt like I overate a bit not feeling terribly comfortable, but I'm not like in pain and nine or 10 being that more extreme side of overeating where you might be in like some extreme physical discomfort um, so much that it affects your ability to do other things. Um, And then the other thing that we wrote down for like different kinds of overeating was that sort of like mindful, purposeful, intentional overeating, which we talk about quite a lot as well, I think, versus the sort of mindless or accidental um overeating which i think is the one that people get a bit more uh distressed about um versus an actual binge which we're not going to really touch on today but binge the thing setting that apart basically being the feeling of a complete loss of control um so we're setting that aside today because that would be a separate well we have an episode we actually have one of our earlier episodes where we talk about what binge eating is. So that could be a helpful episode for someone to go back and listen to. It's probably in like the teens or twenties of the episodes. Um, yep. because I know that we did define can, that pretty in the show clearly. Notes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I think that when, like, when we look at these different forms of overeating, I think some people might hear like mindful or purposeful overeating and be like, what are you talking about? Right? Like, how does that make any sense? And we are going to go back and actually define what damage means and how that shows up. But I, but when we talk about overeating and, and you think like, well, what would mindful or purposeful overeating be? That can be like, you're sitting down, you're eating something, you're enjoying it. You're like, this is just so good. I'm full and I'm going to choose to keep eating because it's simply so good, right? Or this can be, and this might be a little bit... Um, I mean, I, I would consider this mindful as well. And I think the interesting thing is, is that this is often something that is very ingrained in us as far as like being quote unquote, like polite is like, it can be a mindful thing to be like, Hey, I don't want to finish this piece of cake, but I know that it's going to mean a lot to like my grandmother. if She sees my empty plate. So you can choose to do that. And so we want to be really clear that like, you can choose to overeat, like overeating in itself is not a quote unquote bad thing. It is something that can feel really distressing if you're like, I don't feel like I am in control of this, but there is such a thing as being like, something is just really tasty and I'm going to keep eating it. And when, when we talk about the part that is distressing, let's talk a little bit about like, when we hear the word damage, like what specifically are people worried about? Yeah, I think so. I think the fact you just mentioned that feeling of choice is really important. I think often there's a perception of like, I wasn't able to choose or I tried to force myself in one direction in the air quotes, good direction. And I end up going in the bad direction. Um, And so for me, I think usually people are worried about the psychological side of things and weight gain. Yeah. and and to be honest, the distress that comes from it is not from the weight gain itself. It's from the psychological um, layering that we put on top of that. So some of it is like anti-fat bias or um, 
fat phobia, uh, that kind of thing will need to be, we, we've talked about that quite extensively on other episodes and there's loads of great books and resources you can do there and changing social media things and all that kind of stuff. So I won't delve into it too much. Um, but I think a large proportion of what people dislike is the shame that yeah. they attach to um, overeating. And I think what can make overeating into an extended uncomfortable process is not necessarily the physical discomfort, although that exists. It's when you pin that shame onto it, you're basically saying, I'm a bad person for doing this thing. Um, and that can hang over someone for days and influence their behavior for many days. And so I think that's the more harmful side for me um, yeah. to overeating, uh, more so than the physical effects. We can totally talk through the what physically happens in your body when you overeat as well. If people, Yeah, and I think that that could be helpful for people to understand like what the physical effects are. And I think that a lot of that shame comes from this feeling of like, because a lot of us, I think, will start out, and, and I'm specifically thinking about a couple of the conversations that I've had this week with clients. I think a lot of individuals will start out this season being like, this is what I'm going to do this season. It's going to be different. This time I'm going to be like, have way more self-control and way more willpower, and I'm not going to overeat. And so when we set these, these expectations for ourselves, that shame then comes from a feeling of failure. It comes from, I told myself I was going to do something and I didn't do it. What the hell is wrong with me? Right. And we are going to talk a little bit later about like how to manage that. But we also want to, to emphasize the fact that if you define overeating as a failure to do something and you're not taking the time to actually observe what happened and why, you're doing yourself a disservice. And this is something I think I wrote about this in my the email that I sent out this week, but I'll, I'll really quickly share a personal story. So one year, my dad and I went to see some family friends for Christmas. And the matriarch of the family had these incredible brownies, like the best brownies. And it was a year that I was so hyper-focused on my body. I was desperate to maintain a super low body fat um, percentage. And I was very meticulous with my eating. And I ate one brownie and that one brownie turned into a like, at least six brownies a day for like three days. I felt terrible. I felt terrible physically and I felt terrible emotionally because I felt like I had let myself down. The following year, the exact same brownies were on offer in this, like these are family friends. We see them a lot for the holidays. The exact same brownies were on offer, exact same ones. The approach was very different, partly because I had not spent the previous 12 months horribly restricting myself. I had not spent the previous 12 months telling myself I wasn't allowed to eat sugar and I couldn't trust myself around sweets and blah, blah, blah. And so though the I was in the exact same situation, my approach to overeating had changed incredibly. And so I just want to want to let you know that like change is possible, even if you are in the exact same situation. But the reason that it was it was possible for me to change was because I had done the reflection on like, oh, it's probably this horribly heavy restriction and hyper-focus on my body, like overvaluation of weight and shape that is causing me to feel like I need to rebel against what I'm doing. So I might, that might've been a tangent. I don't know if it was, but let's talk about biological processes. <laughs> no, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, you know, because on the psychological side, we talked about the emotions people commonly feel around it. So the shame or yeah. like negative self-talk or that kind of thing. And that's often generated by, thought patterns such as 
specific rules around food, right? So there you already mentioned quantity. So you were like, I'm allowed one brownie, but mm-hmm. not more than that. And you you also had the rules, around, the, the what rules, right? So yeah. um, I'm not allowed to eat sugar. I can't control myself around sweets. So you'd already set mm-hmm. the expectation there. Um, and then for some people also, it might be when rules, like, okay, as oh, long yeah. as I stop eating by this time, or as long as I eat the brownie before my workout or after my workout, or only if I've done a workout, then it's okay. So the interesting thing for me, the when rule was I can eat it if I'm hungry. And so Mm. it was really interesting because I would sit there and be like, am I hungry yet? Am I hungry yet? Am I hungry yet? And that in itself is like, your mind is really powerful. You can convince yourself that you feel signs of hunger, even when you don't. And it was, it's just a really interesting experience to see like the difference between those two moments in time and understanding the work and the process that went on in between them, which don't worry, we are going to talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's talk about what is going, what happens, what's happening inside your body yeah. when you overeat. So let's say it's been like a giant holiday meal or yeah, let's go with that because it's holiday season. That's what yeah. we're kind of talking about. Um, so first of all, the food is going to go into your stomach, right? That's our, our first point of call. It goes through your mouth. Um, things are already going on there. You know, there's a lot of hormone release from, from chewing and all that kind of stuff. Then it's going into your stomach. And Stomach is really the thing that we're going to feel first because it starts to expand um, as we eat food. So it's expanding from the food, but it's also expanding from air, right? So when we chew something or we swallow something, a little bit of air comes with it. So our stomach's gradually going to expand as we do this. And the outside of your stomach is covered in all these like cool nerve receptors. And so as it expands, it sends signals to your brain so you can feel how much it's expanded. And that is why like those nerve um receptors are why when it expands past its normal amount you feel discomfort because it's basically your stomach being like warning brain like i'm getting to abnormal levels here it's not in a place where it's going to explode so you know i think sometimes people get concerned about potentially like ripping their stomach or yeah um there's only been like six cases ever in, reported in the world of people being able to eat to that point. Our stomach is and, very elastic, very elastic. Yeah, and there were some, there were some, you know, genetic things and stuff going on there. Um, but yes, so and if you eat to a point where your stomach is very full, then the little, um, I mean, it's literally it's called a sphincter. I think people think about sphincters as up in our butts a lot, but we have sphincter yeah. also at the top of our stomach. And if we eat till we're really, really full, that sphincter can't close properly anymore, and it's going to be pushed a little bit open and if we get to that point that's where we get that nauseous feeling yeah because it can't quite close as it normally would and your and your esophagus is a bit like what's going on um and that can be where you alternate between points of like nausea and and fullness and potentially heartburn can come there as well um so you know if that's an occasional thing for you it's going to be uncomfortable but it's, and when something, when there's discomfort like that, obviously our brain is set up to look for threats to our safety and it will interpret that as such. And so we might layer onto that an emotional response of like fear or like, you know, for many people that over that fear, they will place shame or regret or whatever else. Mm. But yeah. if we can know, if we can know, okay, this is a normal physical reaction, it will be temporary and it will stop. And this is, you know, it's, it's discomfort, but it's not actually a threat to me. Um, then sometimes we can remove some of the 
threat system, lessen some of the reaction of the threat system, and therefore have less of a negative emotional reaction to that physical discomfort. Yeah. And I, I think something that's helpful for people to know that I know we talk to our clients about this all the time. And it's, I think it's one of those things that we, like, we think that people know this, but the fact is, is like, unless you've been taught this, you're not going to know it, is that there is a delay, right? It's not like as you put food in your mouth, those nerve receptors like go to your brain and it's an immediate feedback loop. Like this is why you may finish eating. And then 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later, you're like, oh, wow, I'm really, really full. And so that's important to know. And it also plays into what we're going to talk about a little bit later, which is like how to eat a little bit more slowly so that you can mitigate some of those feelings. And yes. this is like, again, personally, I am naturally an incredibly fast eater. And when, like before I had worked on slowing down my eating speed, this was a regular occurrence for me. Like I would regularly feel this feeling of being overly full. And I didn't know until I knew that it had to do partly with just the fact that I was eating so quickly, my brain and my body didn't have that moment to sort of connect and be like, oh, hey, you're filling up. Yeah. So speed of eating is the main thing that would bypass that yeah. initial signal. Um, it's the faster signal in the body because we also have our you know hormonal signals um, yeah. um and those are a little bit slower it's kind of like um the the stomach expansion is like your text messages and your hormones are like your emails so they get oh, like sent into the bloodstream and they like drift around and they make it to the brain and then I don't want to say postal service because it's pretty decently fast but you know sometimes you forget to look in your email inbox and a bit later you're like oh I'll go check and you're like oh oh no so many emails um and there's like 20 plus different hormones involved in hunger fullness stuff so it's pretty complex we won't go into that right now um the other thing I think sometimes that can make people uncomfortable after overeating is um feeling like they can't breathe mm. deeply which you know when we're stressed out we get our breath gets quite shallow and so sometimes when we end up with shallow breath it can like reinforce a feeling of anxiety so again context and that can be helpful but basically what's happening is we eat a lot our stomach expands outwards and like presses into the other organs in our like thoracic uh ca cavity um and that's going to stop the diaphragm from going up and down in the way it usually would and so we can't breathe quite as deeply as usual um but again they're just like working to slow down our breathing a little bit and to know that again it's temporary like you can survive without breathing into your belly for an hour um and you'll be okay yeah, I think in, uh, like now that we've sort of helped people understand like what actually is the biological process, I think the question that a lot of people have is like, okay, but will it make me gain weight? Like if I am overeating, like, am I going to gain weight? Because often what will happen is later that day or the next day, or even for a couple of days afterwards, we might look at our bodies and be like, oh, I'm bloated or I feel puffy, or maybe like, hopefully you're not stepping on the scale. Like, I, I think I post every year around Christmas a post that's like, please don't step on the scale unless you have a very specific reason to. Um, but I think that's probably the question that a lot of people are wondering is like, what actually happens in terms of weight gain? Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about that sort of acute, like one or two meals or one or two days of like big overeating to a point of discomfort, um, food takes a while to go through your digestive system, you know? And hopefully we're all pooping every day. Um, but in fact, like the, the meals you've eaten, they can take up to like 36 hours. 
to make it through your full digestive system and out the other side. So if you're looking at yourself in like the three days after a giant meal, yeah, you're probably going to see some effect of that still being in your digestive system. It's still moving. It's making its way out. Like if you give it time to do its thing, it will be okay and you will be okay. Um, But I think that also like if you are someone who has obsessive body checking as a sort of part thing that's part of your regular daily routine, addressing that, I, I know it might be quite close to the time now, but addressing that ahead of future occasions where you know there's going to be this kind of overeating or perhaps being like, I'm going to work on that before next um, holiday season. Because if you are not body checking, the physical discomfort part of overeating is likely to not feel so bad by midway through the next day. But if you are perpetuating the physical discomfort by looking at your stomach and checking your stomach over and over again, yeah, you're going to extend the psychological discomfort that we mentioned there as well. So body checking, not helpful. Scale checking, obviously also not helpful. You're also very likely to often be a bit more bloated, especially if there was like a lot of salty food or more salty food than usual. So ideally not body checking the next few days afterwards. And I know that is hard and it's a safety behavior. We, we kind of go into it with the idea of I'm, I'm checking what my body looks like in order to make myself feel safer. And yet if I were to ask almost anyone, um, how do you feel after you check your body? I've never, I don't think I've ever had anyone who was like, I feel better now that I've checked that. So usually even the sign that you're like, oh, I should go and check what my stomach looks like right now is a great time to go, wait, why? Right? Like what's the motivation behind this behavior? What might actually be more helpful, which might be wearing more comfortable clothes. Um, Yeah. Not wearing things that are too small and giving yourself an alternate distracting or coping behavior to do anytime you get the urge to go and check that out. Yeah. And I do want to reassure people here. And like most of you have probably heard this elsewhere. Maybe you haven't, but if for some reason you decide you absolutely are like, I got to get on the scale and check your weight. Chances are, yes, your weight is going to, your scale weight is going to be higher. Is that a problem? Absolutely not. That is, as Holly mentioned, like you're going to have extra food in your gut, which is going to weigh something. You may be holding on to a little bit more water, which is going to weigh something. Does that have any effect on your actual fat gain? Absolutely not. And so this is why, again, like there is no point in hopping on the scale after or around a period like this, because it is in no way going to support feelings of, oh no, everything is okay. And here, what we're really trying to mitigate is like, how you feel because how you feel influences how you act and how you act influences how you think, which influences how you feel. And it's this whole like circle of, of craziness. And so I think we can talk a little bit like really briefly about like the psychological processes that are happening and then go to the actionable tips. And then that will be it for today, guys. Yeah. I think maybe if we go through the tips, I think we're good. I think we're mainly addressing our psychological things. Yeah. We go through right. it. So would that work? Um, cause I think smart, Holly, we, we so kind smart. of looked at, uh, I mean, I wrote this, I wrote this plan out, so I'm adjusting my own plan as we go. Um, but yeah, so I think that we kind of split our, um, actual tips as I look at them into, into two, one of which is kind of like 
um, longer term mindset prep. So what can you do ahead of the facts um, in order to sort of like give yourself a buffer against feeling distress around overeating? And the other ones are, okay, what do I do in the moment if I'm looking at either reducing overeating or dealing with overeating? So for prepping ahead of time, um, one of the things that we wrote down, and you could journal on this, right? Is like, why am I worried about overeating? Right? Like what's, what is my fear? Is it physical health related? Is it that I don't want to feel psychologically distressed afterwards? Is it that I'm worried about weight gain? And if you write those down, you can then write down how true that is. Like, is it true? If it was true, what would happen? You know, what, what would you, you know, what's the worst possible outcome or the real possible outcome if, you, if it were to be true? And then if it's not true, like what evidence do you have for that? And then overall, like, cool, like based on this, like, do I need to change any behavior? Do I just need to change my thought patterns? And they give you a bit of plan going in. And then the second thing would be to adjust, to journal on, like, what is currently stopping me from pausing when I am full? And do I need to do that? Right. So that might be food rules might be stopping you from actually checking in with your body. It might be that you don't have great interoceptive awareness and you need to practice um, like rating fullness after meals so that we can start to learn what different fullness levels feel like. It might be negative self-talk that needs to be addressed. There's a lot of things that are going on there, but trying to work out for you what that is. So I think that'd be yeah. one way to prep ahead of time. And, and this is because this is so fresh in my mind, because I've had so many conversations around this with clients this week, is that one thing that comes up a lot is that one of the, one of the reasons like mindset wise that we may struggle to do this is this feeling of rebellion is that like, I've been so quote unquote good all year or all week or all month or whatever, or I've been putting so much effort into my nutrition. And so you have this sort of like instinctual reaction to want to rebel against that because there is some sort of, it's almost like because it's a holidays, we feel like we can give ourselves permission to not be so strict with ourselves when it comes to nutrition. But that doesn't usually mean like loosening the reins a little bit. That usually means swinging to like the complete opposite end of the spectrum because we almost just tell ourselves like, fuck you, I'm going to do whatever I want. And so one of the things that when I spoke to clients about with this week is we talked a lot about like getting curious about past moments in which you've overeaten and understanding what happened and what the circumstances were like. So for example, I spoke to a client. She was like, you know what? I had this chocolate bar and I, I ended up eating more than I wanted to of it. And then I ended up eating, you know, a couple of bowls of, of granola later, later that day. And I'm, and I don't know why. And so as we sort of dug into it, she was like, oh, the reason that happened is because I wanted to eat, you know, I, I, I had put a limit on myself around how much chocolate I could eat. And so later in the day, I wasn't feeling satisfied. And so I overate on something else. And so get really understanding like what has already happened is like, we can often see past experiences more clearly than we can predict future experiences. And so use that to help you understand, like, is it simply like I struggle when there's lots of food visible and I, and I don't have the skills of like pausing before I reach for something? Is it because, you know, I, I struggle when people put a lot of food on my plate and I feel like I need to eat everything on my plate? Like understanding what that has looked like in the past can really help guide you to shifting what that looks like in the future. Yeah. And I created before, um, a, an Excel it was it was for it was for looking at, at binges, but you could totally use it for this structure as well to explore past um, overeating incidences, um, which takes you through sort of thinking about uh, what was going on before, 
that happened? What was the what were the step by step processes that happened leading up to and during it? And the emotions, thought processes, physical sensations that were there as well. So if you want to start looking for those patterns in a structured way, I can throw that again into the show notes, which we did last time also. And you can always take that structure if you're looking to do this step. Yeah, I love that. And another thing that we had here was around intentions. And Holly put something on here that I really, really love. And it's like looking at like what you want to do and what you want to feel like rather than figuring out how you want to, what you want to avoid or what you want to not feel like. And this can be really helpful because this kind of gives you, it's almost like something to aspire to rather than like all of these things that I need to run away from. And so mindset wise, I think that that can be really helpful and also aligning what you want to feel like with understanding how does this align with my core values? For example, um, I had, uh, I did a little, a little like mindset workshop with some of my clients for the accountability group that, that we all have. And we talked a little bit about like, what type of memories are you looking to create? Right. And I think we mentioned this in, in the episode that we did around mindset prep, like, how do you want to feel at the end of this? And like what types of behaviors support how you want to feel? And you might identify some key behaviors that you maybe didn't realize before. Like, for example, let's say something that you had always done is just whatever portion is on your plate, you've eaten that, right? So maybe a behavior that you identify is like, hey, it could be really helpful for me to either like while someone is serving my plate, ask them to put less on there to start with so that I can go back for more if I want it. Or maybe what would be helpful for you is being like, you know what, when I'm halfway done or 75% done or whatever it is, I'm going to take an intentional pause and I'm going to take a few deep breaths. And so understanding like these are the behaviors I want to do rather than these are the behaviors I want to avoid can be really, really helpful in guiding you towards feeling the way that you want to feel. Yeah. And and run those intentions as experiments, not as rules. Yeah. When you set an intention, it's being like, I want to see what it would feel like for me to honor this thing. And at the end, I'm going to gather the data and see how that felt and I'll adjust it for next time. And that can really help with reducing uh, shame or, or guilt or whatever might come up for you around failure because an experiment can't fail. It just gives you information. Um, and I, yeah, I love the value stuff. Like, you know, for me, and I don't know about you, Jillian, but after so many years of being so restrictive mm. um, with food, which really created quite a big gap between me and the people around me um you know one of my core values is connection and so I will always choose to honor you know like oh my mom made this chocolate bread like I'm I'm always gonna choose to honor my connection value by eating that for me that's that works best um and for someone else it might be different you know but looking at why you want to do the actions you want to do can be really helpful so yeah intention. I, I think a really, really good point there, Holly, is that like, you can honor that connection value. Cause that's something that's important for me as well. It's like, you can honor that connection value, but it's how you approach it. That is really important. Cause if mm. you look at that and you're like, Oh, well, you know, I really want to feel connected to my mom. So I'm going to eat a bunch of her chocolate bread because I know it makes her happy. Like that might not be necessarily honoring that value in a way that also supports how you want to feel. Whereas like, you might be like, Hey mom, like let's sit down and have a piece of this bread and a cup of tea together. Like that may be honoring it. And so I think that understanding like how you want to play these out is so important. And I think also, especially specifically when it comes to connection, which I know is so important to so many of us is we often think that we are uh, cultivating more connection by simply blindly eating what is in front of us. Whereas like, I know, for example, my grandmother makes a ginger cake that I've realized over the years is just not very good. And 
<laughs> and I used to just eat it because she would have it. And I was like, oh my gosh, she made it. Like I'm going to eat it. And oh my gosh, I get to eat sugar and I don't eat sugar normally. And now I realize that what is actually the most valuable for my grandmother is not seeing me eat her ginger cake, but it's me having a cup of tea and sitting with her around the table while she eats the ginger cake. Right. And so I might decide to have a little piece. I might not, but I think that that shift for me was really important because that way I'm not eating something that I don't actually want just to please someone else. And I'm still able to connect with them in a really valuable way. And also, by the way, connection doesn't have to be about making someone else happy. Yeah, I think that that's comes a up really a good point. And when, and when connection is perceived from this point of I'm doing X to make someone else happy, which, which if you're dealing then with like a food pusher kind of vibe, mm-hmm. which I don't, you know, aren't, isn't necessarily what we're talking about with our, with my mom and, and your grandma, but there are people who are quite pushy with it. Um, if you're trying to make someone else happy and that's their vibe, then you might end up feeling very actually disconnected from them and resentful yeah. towards them. Um, so, so for me, when I mentioned that, I'm looking at making myself feel connected and myself happy via that. And if you are looking yeah. at a way of making yourself happy, you're also much more likely to um, pause at a point where you're at comfortable fullness levels um, versus because you can't tell when someone else is happy, to, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. And so you're just going to be scrambling at this like invisible thing and trying to read someone else's mind yeah so yes um let's talk about stuff that you can do during the meal like during the let's say you know you know it's gonna be a a, a point a meal where you're going to overeat but you'd like to feel a certain way afterwards let's say you don't want to feel in pain let's say you're looking to feel like an eight maybe like oh, i'm very uncomfortably full but like i'm okay um yeah. what can someone do during their meal to help with that so two kind of main things and one of them is like a big bubble of like many 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 different behaviors that we've talked about many times on this podcast and and one of the big ones is really just slowing down your eating and that can take place in different ways for different people right one of the things that for myself as someone who is naturally quite a fast eater i used to be the one that would like finish a plate and look around and be like why is everybody taking so long and for me, what is really, really helpful are two main things. One is putting my knife and fork down between bites and actually allowing myself to chew and swallow the bite that I have in my mouth. And the second thing is if I notice that I'm feeling quite like stressed or anxious about the meal, taking a couple of deep breaths before I eat, but also at various points through the meal. Um, and this can be really, really helpful if you are someone like I used to be where it's like, oh my gosh, I love food so much. I get so excited about everything that is on this plate. I just want to eat it all. Right. And it's almost like we go into this scarcity mindset of like, I got to eat it all. And when we actually slow down and embrace this idea of like, I enjoy food more when I actually enjoy it more, when I actually savor it rather than like immediately going to, I enjoy food more when I eat as much of it as I can, I think is a really helpful shift. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the most simple to institute and most effective things to do here. Um, For some people, we also do sort of like setting regular self-check-ins during the meal. And this can take, again, different forms of different people, of course. So, you know, for a few of my clients, it works really well to make themselves one big, like well-rounded plate eat the plate and know when they finish the plate, they're going to stop and pause and be like, how am I feeling? Maybe they set a little silent timer for five minutes on their watch or on their phone to explore that and be like, okay, let me take, you know, time this pause so that I know it's going to end and see how I'm feeling physically and mentally and emotionally at the end of that. And then I'll make a choice. 
I can, and I can choose to eat more. Or I can choose to not. And both of those are fine. Sometimes some people might need to excuse themselves, go to get some water or go to the bathroom to take themselves out of the environment so that they can do the deep breathing and be calm and then go back in, especially if someone has social anxiety or feels a lot of social pressure. Some people feel um, quite distressed when other people can see them eating. So sometimes it can be good to take yourself out of the environment, reset there and then go back in. Um, and it, it, this sounds weird, but for some of my ADD clients, it can work really well to actually set little timers to go off during the meal. Um, everyone's, you know, if you, if you have ADHD, it's different for everyone. So this is not a, a must, but for some of them, if they find themselves getting to that, like sort of hyper-focus mode during a meal, having like a, again, a silent timer go off in their pocket, all it does is buzz and they can be like, oh yeah, cool. That's right. I was going to check in with myself when this happened and they just turn it off and they can do, do a quick check-in and then again, have a decision point to go on from there. So I find that can work, work quite well for people as well, especially if they don't yet have that sense of being able to sense fullness during a meal or, or easily pause. Yeah. And, and then the last one we have here is just letting it be okay that you're uncomfortable, right? Like letting it be okay that maybe you're psychologically uncomfortable because in your mind, you're thinking like, oh my gosh, I need to finish everything on my plate because like, that's just what I do. Or be psychologically uncomfortable, like, oh my gosh, um, you know, I have all of these foods in front of me, like I want to eat them all at once. And also the ability to like recognize that these sensations are not you, like being able to diffuse yourself a little bit from like, instead of like, I am X, Y, Z, you're like, I am feeling X, Y, Z, or I am thinking X, Y, Z. And I think one of the, you know, we talk about this a lot on this podcast and, and for a lot of my clients, what's been really powerful is being able to understand that like our thoughts and our feelings are not us. They are something that occurs within us, but it isn't necessarily either a direction or a fact. It is simply something that exists within us. And then we get to choose how we want to interact with that. Yeah. And I think that goes for physical discomfort as well. So some people are very sensitive to physical changes yeah. in their body. And so when they get slightly overly full, they feel very distressed by that. And it's not because they are reacting in uh, uh, sort of overreacting to that. It, it feels that way in, in their body. And this could well be you if you're someone who's quite sensitive to physical sensation. For those people practicing the skill of shifting your attention away from that sensation can be really important actually, rather than trying to sit with it. Because if you are someone who's overly sensitive, trying to sit with it is just going to um, sort of like create that buildup of distress in your body. So you might want to practice other physical sensations or holding something very cold or squeezing something or purposely shifting your attention to, I think something that works quite well for people is trying to shift your attention to the feeling of where your hair meets your head because we do have feeling there but we often don't think about it and so that's that's an interesting one try and do yeah I find that one really interesting for people um so that can be helpful for other people if you find you tend to try and avoid it by doing anything else and for some people by the way avoiding the feeling of discomfort is eating more um even though it's what's generating the feeling of discomfort for you it might be better to learn to sit with it and to be like I'm feeling uncomfortable and that is okay. And as Julian said, diffusing from any thoughts and emotions that come up there and letting yourself experience the temporary nature, albeit like a fairly extended temporary nature of that feeling of discomfort. Yeah. 
I think, you know, I think if we were to kind of recap everything that we talked about and understand like what it comes down to is that when it comes to quote unquote, like the damage that overeating does, it's transitory, right? It's not something that is going to cause a long-term issue. And it's something that is not likely to last for more than a couple of days. And I say more than a couple of days because that like food sitting in your stomach or the bloating may last a couple of days, but understanding that like our physical sensations are transitory. You're not going to feel like this forever. And sometimes our brains can make us feel like, oh my gosh, this is a huge deal. And when we zoom out a lot of, uh, I've been talking to clients a lot about this as well as like the capacity to zoom out and understand that like even two or three days of overeating in a few meals over the grand scheme of your entire year is very, very little. And so I think what, you know, if you are noticing like, Hey, actually, this is a really regular occurrence for me. That's when you might want to talk to a therapist, get a coach, like work with someone that can actually help you deal with this. But if you're just someone that's like, you know what, around certain holidays, like I tend to overeat, I don't really love it, but you know what food is really good and whatever. Maybe you just take some of the tips that we mentioned and you try to put them in place. And you also acknowledge that like, it's not that big of a deal if you overeat at a couple meals over the course of the year. And the last thing I will say here is that if you are mentally restricting or even like actually restricting your calorie intake, it may be more likely that you overeat. And so it may be helpful to look at not just like, how do I work on overeating in this specific instance, but how do I address the overall restriction and the food rules that I have in place so that the pattern of overeating and wanting to rebel against those food rules can be mitigated. Um, I talk a lot about this on my podcast. I just did a, an, a series on unconditional permission to eat, which I think can be really, really helpful. Um, if you're trying to understand like, what the hell does that mean and how do I do it? Um, but yeah, I think that that's kind of what we talked about today. Yeah. Great summary, Jillian. And thank you guys for tuning back in for season two of Be Well Cartel. As always, if you enjoyed this episode and think it might be helpful for someone that you know, or you want to share it anyway, because it was helpful to you. We love when that happens. And we also love to hear from you. So you can always message us on Instagram at Be Well Cartel or on any of our personal Instagram accounts. Yeah. And the last thing I will say as well is that like, if you are finishing the year and you're like, I feel like I kind of need some support somehow, reach out to any of us individually or the Be Well Cartel. And all three of us, like Holly, Olivia, and I, if we are not the person to help you, we will help direct you in a direction of where you can find help and someone to support you. And so I just want to know that like, even if you're like, I don't know if I want to work with Holly, Jillian, or Olivia, like it, you can reach out to us and, and tell us a little bit about what's going on. And we can kind of help direct you. Cause I know sometimes it's like, who do I ask for help if I'm struggling with this stuff? And so we are here for you if you have questions. And I am going to go, uh, no, actually that's a lie. I was going to say, I'm going to go pack for my trip to Liverpool tomorrow. That's a total blatant lie. I'm absolutely not going to do that until, <laughs> until 10 PM tonight. Who am I kidding? <laughs> and I'm, I'm about to dive into a, a big client call day. So. Oh, amazing. Well, I will let you go, Holly. This was amazing. Thank you. Thank you everyone. Bye.